there really are no scales in the Bible for measuring bodies. There are scales for measuring the misery of Job, which I jokingly say, like, could that be foreshadowing with diet culture? It's about time because we're going there. Welcome back to another episode of We're Going There. I am your host, Bianca Wattis Oltoff, and this is a special week because this is day three of a five-day series on dismantling diet culture. Yes, we have to talk about the weight issue that we have going on, and that's W-E-I-G-H-T. It is that kind of weight, but I want to say that the weight is over. Yesterday's episode, we started talking about the scale and how the scale can really be damaging but I'm gonna make it a little personal. Maybe you are not a person of faith, but you listen to the podcast, you are still invited to this conversation because it is high time that we tell on ourselves. We as a church culture, without even realizing it, have perhaps made a place like church, a sacred place, perhaps unsafe. And it's unsafe because we want to talk about what scripture says, but do it without shame that comes so much with diet culture. So I'm joined again for this entire week with. Leslie Schilling, nutrition therapist and registered dietitian as we are getting wrecked. Leslie, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good stuff. Okay. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of church and where we see this kind of like pop up everywhere. So hating our bodies is a collective uh, issue that so many people can wrestle with. We mentioned this at the end of yesterday's show, but this conversation isn't for those that maybe uh, doctors would say obese or you're in the extra large se- sections of a clothing store. This is a pervasive issue that has affected all different types of along right. the spectrum of body diversity. And so what we want to do is get some good handles on what scripture says and how it is even woven itself into the fabric of church. So I love documentaries and I saw this HBO special entitled All the Way Down and it was W-E-I-G-H. And it was um, it was so fascinating. It was so crazy. And as odd as it seemed watching this documentary, I flash back to yeah. something that my mom was a part of in the early 90s and something very, very similar. And I saw how much weight shame was brought in and how much people learned to hate imperfect bodies. And so what I want to do here is kind of talk about how we have seen this creep into the church and how whether well-intentioned or a misunderstanding of scripture, I want us to get very educated on how we can take care of our bodies while also understanding that it is so much different than perhaps the way somebody looks. Before we bring in the expert of this series, I have said that I was going to be the guinea pig. I'm volunteering as tribute to share personal stories that hopefully bring language or resonate as we unpack some of this stuff. But I remember it, this has been the last couple of years, stress and my body, we, we have a love-hate relationship. It makes me think creatively, but then it also has an adverse effect on my body. I have been very stressed the last couple of years. And I, a lot of the work that I do is on camera and uh, at conferences and on stages and platforms at church. And I remember very vividly going to a conference and hearing people talk about my weight gain. And it was so incredibly hard. And I had so much shame because, you know, we speak about fruit of the Holy Spirit and one of that being self-discipline. And how could I be a spirit-filled Christian if I don't have self-discipline? Because people were looking at my waist. People were looking at my 
my, my chest. People were looking at my size of my back and determining I did not have self-control. Well, all the while I was working out six days a week, I was stressed beyond all measure. It was a very, very hard season. And what I want to do is give grace and space that health isn't in a body size. And I want to make sure that we as a church are talking about this from a place of love, kindness, grace, health, and healing. So Leslie, yeah. can you please weigh in on this way down and how do we learn to talk about this in a holy and healthy way within the church hmm. context? I will say, wow, that, that documentary was something else. I, um, <laughs> started my career in Tennessee where the author <gasps> of that book went to school and was still in the area when it came out and being a good little dietitian like I was I'm like ooh dietitian wrote a book I'm going to get this had the book had the book um and then started learning more and in, in my own processing to become not a weight centric practitioner to be a weight neutral practitioner, um, hopefully a harm reducing practitioner realized, wow, actually, I will say this was probably one of the dominoes that was beginning to fall. When I started to see diet culture in the church, this was probably one of the early things that made mm. me take a step back and say, the God of love and the God of grace I can't wrap my head around how that God would want you to bring, bring yourself to harm to fit a cultural ideal. I could not wrap my head around it. Mm. So what I want to talk about specifically for this episode is I want to talk about what is the proper biblical view of how we should treat our bodies. So I'm going to go to my Bible boyfriend, Paul the Apostle, who says that our bodies are a temple. And I've always used that as my barometer for health. Mm -hmm. I want to be careful about the things that I'm putting into my body. And Flaming Hot Cheetos taste good, but Flaming Hot Cheetos are not good for me. And Paul also said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. So with that lens and filter, which is biblically sound and it makes sense and I'm making good decisions, how do you reconcile this license that you're giving us to feed ourselves or to feed the need or, or if I'm hearing you correctly, feed our desires? Hashtag Maple Leaf Trader Joe cream filled cookies. You know, I'm going to send you some, but anyway, uh, <laughs> well, you know, that is, I would say like if diet culture loved a verse, that's the one that is the one, oh, yeah. right? Because the body is the temple. Like we use this to shame children for eating their maple leaf cookies. Like this is the verse that has been used. And maybe I think I would go as far to say abused to harm people and shame people for their food choices, food choices that might be economically driven, right? Like this is all I can afford. Um, wow. So there's a, there's a lot there um, that we really have to think about. But when, so I was very careful to work with a theologian, right? About, especially when I'm digging into these verses, because I am not a theologian. And so Dr. Bowers was lovely enough to, to help me and dig in. And we were talking about this particular verse, which I've seen used in so many harmful ways to support diet culture and not really grace or the gospel. What I think is important to remember is that the body is the temple is because the Holy Spirit already resides there. We're mm -hmm. already, we're already temples. 
And could we take care of them? Sure, we can take care of them. But we have to know what that looks like outside of diet culture. And we, we can't judge people who maybe don't look the part because we don't know their stories. We don't know their genetics. But I think that verse has made us be judge, more judgmental of people because we're, we're banking the temple goods on appearance. And that's really dangerous, really dangerous. Mm. Mm. Okay. So we are halfway through the series. And for those that are, are, are interested, for those that have resonated with the content, I think we talk about a biblical understanding. I feel like one thing that has to come to the surface is you had mentioned this about the scales of justice. And you talk about that our weight has nothing to do with our righteousness. Let me, let me tell you something. I grew up feeling that self-discipline was on par with righteousness and that if I can get my weight under control, then I was a holy person or somebody that had, mm -hmm. was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you, you, you mentioned when we were on the phone call and we were kind of like ideating about this, you had mentioned the scales of justice. Can you talk a little bit about that? As I was going through my journey, kind of as a clinician and a Christian clinician, realizing that there really are no scales in the Bible for measuring bodies. There are scales for measuring the misery of Job, which I jokingly say, like, could that be foreshadowing with diet culture? But there are there's scales of justice. There are scales on fish. But are there scales for measuring a body? And, and I would argue no, because I've been to the Galileo Museum in Florence, Italy, where the first scales were, and they're like way after Jesus's time. But so, so that's something that you know, we put a lot of stock in, especially with this temple verse, right? A lot of stock in the scale and the number, but is it really biblical to like be chasing a number on the scale? Okay. So that feels nebulous. Let's make it a little bit more concrete. The Bible is very clear about fasting. When Jesus was talking about, um, you know, some things only come out with prayer and fasting. He was talking about the demonic realm. And when he was talking about this, that fasting was so important mm -hmm. in, in, in spiritual warfare. And then in the book of Acts, we see that the early church disciples, huge advocates of fasting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think like what I want to talk about is how do we address these biblical topics mm -hmm. with a, in, from a place of safety? And the right. reason why I say this is I can talk about this now because scripture is very clear that when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, like when you fast, you know, don't walk around with dust on your face saying I'm fasting. So I am now what year is this 2024? So in 2022, I did a 40 day fast. And in this 40 day fast, I, I was aware enough to know that I couldn't do a full food fast because right. of my addiction issues. I didn't want it to be anorexia under the guise of fasting. So I allowed myself one meal. It was a lean and green. So I had like protein and it was, it was dense, definitely not as many calories as I should have been eating. But to me, it was the principle of fasting. Right. There was some stuff that was going on and I was like, God, I need you to move. I need you to move. I need you to move. So I did a 40 day fast. Now I'm going to tell on myself, and it's not just Orange County culture. I believe that there's a lot of people because there's a lot of churches right now. January, it's we're doing the all church fast. Right. And it's, it's very coincidental that like our all church fast always happens in January after everyone's binged all of November and December. So I will tell on myself, but I think it's emblemic of the church that 
part of my motivation in this 40 day fast was to get a breakthrough in my weight and food. Right. So how do we practice this disciplined fasting that Jesus says is important, but how do we do this if we've had issues with, with food that maybe feels a little toxic? So I will, as a clinician, I will tell you like in my office, like I've, I've had lots and lots of clients are like, I want to, I want to participate in the fast that my church is doing, um, or synagogue or whatever. I've worked with lots and lots of, um, different people. And when we, when we bring in their pastor or their rabbi or whoever, when we're talking about fasting and you're at risk for falling into disordered eating behaviors or prolonging something that you already have going on, the recommendation is to not engage, is to, is, is to choose something different. Is there something else that we can abstain from that can the, a trade, so to speak, to make it safer. So the thing is like fasting is I've done a couple fast in my, in my lifetime, but also in my lifetime, I've never lived outside of diet culture. So in, in, mm. like you said, when you fast and like, don't walk around like, whoa, is me. I'm fasting. Look how righteous I am. Right. But that's what we do. Sadly. Like, and so I think that's really the litmus is like, if, if this is something you choose to do, that's between you and God. It doesn't need to be like, I'm on social media. Look at me. Here I am with dust on my face and maybe I'll lose five pounds too. And, and that's, it's (laughs) the insidiousness of diet culture that has made a spiritual practice tricky. And I won't say people can't do it. People can do whatever they want. I believe in autonomy and in free will. Um, however, we need to be really honest. Diet culture was not present in biblical times. Um, food was the thing to give up. So it makes sense that we did that and we depended on God for sustenance. If somebody is going to bring themselves to harm doing it instead of closer to God, I think we really have to think about whether that practice it needs to be um, pivoted in some way. Like I can tell you social media keeps me way further from God than whether I mean breakfast or not. <laughs> so, Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one telling on myself today. Right here. Yes. You know, um, I want to come back to this because I'm so embarrassed to say that after the 40 day fast, which, okay, I broke at day 36. And then, so I just stuck on an extra two days, not one day. Cause I broke it one day, but two days. Cause for some reason I felt like I had to pay penance or something. So it was a 42 day fast. And I am so embarrassed to say that I stepped on the scale on day 43 and really thought a byproduct is I'm going to get this breakthrough. Right. And the devastating part for me, and it was spiritually devastating was I didn't get a breakthrough in the thing that I was praying for. And I didn't get a breakthrough in my weight. Right. I didn't lose a pound. Leslie, I was starving all month and I didn't lose a pound. And I felt so disappointed by God. And that's when I realized I was fasting for the completely wrong reason. Right. So you had said, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I heard you say that you are not opposed to fasting, but to think creatively about how we fast. And um, I, I think, you know, it's funny that we're here because uh, our church, we're doing a 10 day fast, but 
I opted to go with the Daniel fast. And the reason why is that that's an all play for people. Like we're not saying don't eat. We're saying abstain from alcohol, abstain from this. Like, and it's not the perfect lifestyle to live. However, I felt like it's an all place of people who maybe have a blood disorder or food issues, that it's something they can participate in. What are your thoughts on alternative fast, like a Daniel fast or a technology fast or a TV fast? Talk to me a little bit about what you think about that. I I really think that um, congregational fasting is can, can be lovely and wonderful and beneficial. And I think options need to be laid out because if, if, for example, I worked with a group and they did a, they required people to do a certain type of fast. I'm in the background knowing that a couple of the people in, in the requirement group, this would bring them to harm. And so the, the collective, we're all going to do this will lead someone to harm because it's restrictive in some way. So Mm. I would recommend what, is truly keeping you from God. And I think that we're missing out on this. I think we kind of have it backwards sometimes. Like in biblical times, yes, you can fast from food. It makes sense. It was something that we got pleasure from. It was, there's not a lot of exciting, not a lot of exciting things to distract you like ESPN or social media or all the things. So it's, it makes sense that we did it then. And it doesn't mean you can't do it now. But what I'm worried about are the people who aren't going to say, but I've dieted my whole life and I'm so scared. This is going to take me back to my eating disorder. Can I, can I abstain from social media? Can I commit to feeding myself regularly? Because I really think not eating pulls us away from God. Because diet culture is like, oh, goody, I'm going to get this one. Mm. And so it is really, really tricky. So can it be done? I think so. But first of all, let me me just tell you already, things are changing. Okay. I'm listening (laughs) to I'm literally going to reach out to the communication director, the creative director here at church, and I'm going to switch it from a Daniel fast and give people fasting options. I just want to say, I duly noted, I'm listening to you. And I thought I picked the right one, but you're absolutely (laughs) right. You're absolutely right. And who cares if somebody could say no to, you know, ice cream and a pork chop uh, while their life is being overrun by social media or a comparison game or a porn addiction. In fact, here's the theology out of Isaiah 58, 7. Is this is talking about fasting. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Okay, so if if that's if that's a repute against the Israelites, I think this I think that we can BIV this version. Bianca International eyes this version. <laughs> is it. this not type of fast I'm choosing for you to get off of social media, for you to stop yes. comparing, for you to stop being self righteous? I mean, literally, yeah, like what is the yoke? And the yeah. yoke might be dieting. So yeah. so the fast could be I'm fasting for dieting, which looks like I'm going to have to eat more. I'm going to have to feed myself regularly and consistent, consistently. And the yoke could be social media. It could be porn, like you said. It could be be doom scrolling, right, social media. But it could be so many things. And then we, this kind of goes into the self-discipline piece too, is like 
do we need self-discipline around making ourselves feed these bodies that can abstain from things like alcohol and smoking, but cannot abstain from food for long without Mm. something happening, right? Um, So it's tricky. So I think we just have to be so aware of how diet culture is like, ooh, goody, let's look at this hungry one. We're going to, we're going to go for that one. Right. But self-discipline too is, isn't a close size. Like I know we were talking about like, um, self-discipline, but self-discipline is what if self-discipline, the way we need to look at it is honoring your hunger, not ignoring it because God gave you the hunger cue to take care of your body. Right. What if self-discipline is, doing something hard in diet culture, which is feeding yourself and and sitting with the uncomfortable truth that we weren't all made to be a size six or four or whatever. It's, it's hard stuff. And this is the time of year where people fall back into the really dangerous places. Okay. This is this, I feel like my mind is as like blown as we have this conversation. And I, it's going to lead into tomorrow's episode. Um, It's detoxing from toxic detoxes. I'm very excited about that one because it's part (laughs) of that culture. And, but, but one of the things that like, when we talk about like hunger cues and I want to land here, I want to land here and we don't need answers, but I just want us to kind of think about and actually not think about, but I'm actually putting the ball in your court. We talk about hunger cues, but what about those hunger cues that drive us that are just our own insatiable desires? Because I look back mm-hmm. at my life and I'm looking at like so many times that I ate, it wasn't necessarily because I was hungry. Right. My soul was empty. Yeah. And so how do you address that while not confusing with food? I have childhood trauma. And so what felt safe is I found myself hiding in places and eating. And so there is right. this memory connection to hiding and eating feels like no one can get me. Right. And so it, as an adult, I still find myself in those places, but how do you stop that? It, it's not a physical hunger. And yet I find myself and previously found myself in moments of like gaining weight because I just didn't never, I never felt safe. It wasn't actual hunger. I thought right. it was, but it really wasn't. What, what yeah. do people do with that? Well, this is a very privileged answer. Therapy. Mm. Like we have to first acknowledge gosh, maybe I'm using food to cope, which is not all bad because you could have done a lot of other more destructive things. <laughs> true, you know? that's true, yeah. So, and like I, I'm, as I've grown and learned as a clinician, like I'm really in, invested in harm reducing practice and harm reducing practice means that you chose cookies instead of drugs or alcohol or self-harm in another way. Um, So I think we really have to like invite the nuance in here and invite in that I'm so happy you had food to make you feel safe. What a beautiful gift that that didn't let you down in the time when that's what you had. And, and that's what I'll tell my clients. I'm like, I am so glad you had something that could comfort you when you needed comfort. And now that you see that as something you don't want to engage in anymore, let's work on that. Let's give you some other tools to feel whatever it is that needs to be filled. And it might be connection. It might be working on some of your processes. Like if you drive the same way home every day and that has three different food 
places you like to stop because it helps you numb out and you don't want to do that anymore, let's come up with some let's come up with some strategies to increase your awareness and help you engage in behaviors that make you feel better now that you know this isn't a behavior you want to engage in anymore. I just don't want people to feel when we use food, it is comforting. It doesn't let us down. Maple cookies never taste bad. So, I mean, but when we, when we catch ourselves and we're like, gosh, I don't want to use the maple cookies anymore. I I want to really check in with myself. And I realize now that the hunger I'm experiencing is, is more emotional um, and related to something else going on with me instead of like a physiological hunger. It really takes external support, which come back to coming back to privileges. I hope if you recognize that in yourself, that you have the resources and the eating disorder and weight neutral informed practitioners that can lead you to a place that is less shameful and more freeing. I want to take a moment and thank you for your shameless approach to talking about such a shameful conversation. I know that therapy does feel like a position of privilege, but your book, Feed Your Soul, uh, there's a link in the show notes, but maybe you can't afford uh, therapy. This book provides practical resources on really addressing some of those identifiable things that maybe you are unaware of or practices that you can employ in your own life. This is a hard conversation and one yeah. that I think so many people have wrestled with for a very long time. I hope that freedom is being found. This week is going to continue. Uh, tomorrow, we are talking about detoxing from toxic detoxes, and I am so excited to carry on this conversation. If this conversation has helped you or you believe that it can help someone else, consider sharing it or leaving a positive review. We are so grateful that you have joined us in this series, and there's, it's, we're not done yet. We still have two more days to go. Otherwise, we will catch you tomorrow. Thanks for joining along and we hope that you find freedom with food.